neoliberal capitalism does not exist. Now that's, um, of course, crazy, right? Um, well, let me explain why I'm saying that. The system of the economic system, which uh, the establishment tries to tell you is how they're running things. Uh, there's no such this. There's no such system. In that system, for instance, um, a sovereign currency um, still has, is subject to some kind of a restriction that uh, it has to pay interest on debt. Okay. Now, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to go into the details on um, modern monetary theory. Um, because, I mean, you can get Stephanie Kelton or, or uh, Warren Mosler and, and look at those videos and learn all about it. But um, just the basic thing with the deficit is uh, there's, there's people on like YouTube that you can watch where they try to claim that someday the interest on the deficit is going to be so great that we won't be able to afford to pay it and we'll go bankrupt. Those people don't understand the difference between microeconomics and macroeconomics, um, which is kind of a difference between the flea and the dog. So, in the the macro system, in the where you have a sovereign nation issuing currency, suppose that uh, the United States didn't want to pay interest on T bills anymore. So they just say, well, you know, we'll issue T-bills that uh, don't pay interest. So you come along, somebody comes along and says, well, I want to roll my T-bills over. And they say, okay, you can do that, but we aren't going to pay interest on them. Or we're, we're only going to pay two-tenths of a percent interest on them. Whatever they want to say. This is Congress. They can do what they want. Okay, so the guy says, well, I'm not doing that. Okay, fine. Well, then I want my money. Okay, fine. We'll print it for you. And that's it. <laughs> so that's it. They just print it for them. Because most of the money supply is out, is out there not, uh, is not paying interest on it. All those petrodollars, that's why the United States wants to be the world's reserve currency, is to keep all those petrodollars out there and all those reserve dollars out there because if all of those if people decided they didn't want those anymore and started trying to sell them what would they buy with them right they gave big piles of that money to um, the corporations and the corporations didn't know what to do with it either so what did they do they bought their own stocks back and they bought stock in other companies too. This is where all this COVID relief that was given to the people who made trillions of dollars. I'm, I mean this literally on off of COVID, just in the in the uh, the year which I guess has just ended the first year of COVID, which will not be the last year of COVID because of all the the, the mishandling of it. 
hopefully this will be the last year of COVID that we've just started in on. Uh, we'll see. They've, they've made all this money. Well, they bought stocks in other companies too. Um, a whole lot of rich people that got a whole lot of money that they didn't have any real use for. They, they, they went and uh, bought stock because that was what they could buy. They didn't want to buy real estate because real estate had already been tanked and, you know, it was, it, that's a done thing. So they said, well, you know, let's put it in stock. The stock market has this kind of Ponzi scheme thing about it that lots of times you can buy stock for too much and then sell it to somebody else for way too much and make a big profit on what actually is the ownership of a business, which, you know, maybe makes money and maybe doesn't. Uh, incredibly, you can pay a $10 million a year salary to a guy who can't figure out how to make a profit, right? That debt business doesn't exist. So that's just, that's an excuse for not spending money on social programs. It never has anything to do with uh, defense spending. They never ask them pay go. And when they did try to, uh, to uh, audit the books of the Pentagon, they couldn't do it. And they came up, uh, what was it? $12 trillion short. They didn't know what happened to $12 trillion. That's like a number approaching national debt. That is a huge amount of money. You don't know what happened to it. No. Got a system of accounting that is designed to not be auditable. Was that, do you suppose that was a democratic choice? Do you think it was a democratic choice? I don't think it was a democratic choice. We know that uh, capitalism obviously uh, is rife with greed because it's based on greed. Um, it's destructive to like the environment and, um, you know, it just rolls over whatever gets in its way. Um, and it's uh, famous for w what I call the economy of throwing your trash in the neighbor's yard, which is throw your trash in the neighbor's yard. You don't have to pay for the disposal. Therefore it's profitable because that's an un unpaid externality. Capitalism's full of those. Fracking is, they charge people for fracking and actually it doesn't even pay. It doesn't even get enough gas to be worth doing. On top of that, it, it ruins water resources that are really worth something to get natural gas, which actually is not worth anything because we can already make power cheaper with solar than we can with natural gas. So why would somebody who is even slightly, even, it's the smallest amount rational, why would they invest in natural gas? Why would they build new pipelines to carry this stuff when it doesn't pay? That's just goofy. You could generate hydrogen if that's what you wanted to do. You can generate hydrogen from a solar cell or a, a wind turbine. Also, capitalism is inherently inequitable. And the inequality that it produces is a natural result of the competition between people who necessarily are not equal to begin with. Uh, in that, of course, the big guy can, can do stuff that the little guy can't. 
And I don't even mean just that, like, Citibank gets a bailout from from uh, uh, the federal government uh, because it was literally bankrupt. It would have been a great thing to let Citibank go bankrupt. It's just a big criminal organization. That one and Goldman Sachs, they would... Not only did we waste the money that Obama gave them, but actually it was worse than wasted because it would be better to, to have paid twice as much to get rid of those companies as what we paid to, to keep them alive. And of course it would have cost us nothing to get rid of them. We just could have said, go to the bankruptcy court. <laughs> See ya. You're gone. And then, you know, we, we could of course have bailed out the, the homeowners that ended up uh, you know, being thrown out in the street, not because they were unwilling to work, not because they were unwilling to pay their mortgages, but because they were unable to, with the way the financial sector, uh, you know, the, the parasite had sucked so much blood that there was just not, they couldn't do it. Um, and even, you know, even, uh, um, What's his name? Adams <clears throat> admitted at one point, there's no such thing as a free market. <clears throat> the big guy can advertise. The fact that advertising works uh, is fairly obvious to anybody. I mean, do, do, all you just have to, to understand that advertising works. All you have to be is smart enough to look at ads and say, gee, I wonder why people are willing to pay more for Coke or Pepsi than they are for all these other cola drinks that are just about the same thing. And the reason is, you've been told to. And they figured out a way to get to you. And they, the, these people do not spend multi-million dollars on a 30-second spot during the Super Bowl for something that doesn't work. You know, like they don't—they wouldn't—they don't have that money to spend forever. Granted, they got it to spend for a long time, but I mean, they're not going to just keep on, keep on, keep on doing this if it didn't work. So we've got this system uh, that's just uh, full of lies and exploitation and um, and everything that Jesus told you not to do if you I mean it's the opposite of the golden rule and yet somebody has got to come along and tell you well greed is good so they tell you well uh, yeah we know the problem the the system has a few little problems but you know like crashing every five to ten years and uh, well that's a kind of a big problem actually well yeah that it's got a few little problems but it's the best anybody's ever come up with. It's much better than communism and socialism. And is it? You know, do you really think it is? Because I don't, and I don't understand why a rational person would think that it was better even than communism. Uh, you, you look like, we just recently on Twitter, people were talking about uh, state housing in the USSR and homelessness in America and all that. And I went on uh, DuckDuckGo, because uh, I never used Google, and 
and looked at some pictures and I found what I took to be a pretty typical looking Soviet apartment uh, interior. Um, it's a, you know, a small place with the little lady sitting on her sofa. But if you look at the details around there, she's got her little knickknacks and doodads and giggles like people have, right? And it's kind of like a middle class, but, you know, not, you wouldn't think that she was rich, but she's doing okay. You know, I mean, you don't see the signs of poverty. Uh, believe me, I know what they look like in that picture and you don't in most of the pictures of interiors of Soviet apartments even when they try to tell you how bad they are they usually like to focus on these dull exteriors it was just a big building you know uh, which uh, I mean American projects are are big ugly things too but we somehow lose control of them and um, the cops only come to shoot people and uh, so you know, they have lots of crime and problems and nobody will fix anything and they're, they're pretty terrible, but you have to do that on purpose. That's done by capitalists because they don't want public housing to be good. It's socialism. They don't want it at all. If they're going to have it, they're going to have it as lousy as they can make it. And then this, this, that same thing carries through. I mean, like, uh, uh, we have socialized uh, interstate highways. Well, they try to make that into a cash cow for big corporations to, uh, you know, maintaining them and building them and stuff like that to charge outrageous fees uh, for stuff that could be done cheaper. But the thing is, you have to be one of the three or four companies that are gigantic enough to bid on like repaving 700 miles of interstate freeway or something. I mean, yeah, these are humongous jobs that, that uh, are just way, way out of reach of all the smaller companies. And so they will be done by one of the, the in crowd. That's inevitable. Nobody wants to be on the receiving end, in fact, of this unfree market. The receiving end of the unfree market is being this underpaid worker who has a dangerous, unpleasant job and is exposed to chemicals and the boss yells at him all the time and, and, and just did awful, you know, just as bad as uh, 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 something out of a Dickens story, if not worse. And uh, why, do, why are people putting up with that? Because they have to. This is the most productive economic system, supposedly, but what it produces is all going to the top. Here's my test of the justice of a society. Suppose that you, um, well, we're all going to die. So let's just say <clears throat> somebody comes along and says, okay, uh, when you die you're going to be reincarnated. And when you're reincarnated, and presume this is true, when you're reincarnated, you can come back in like one of a whole bunch of choices of different societies. The thing is, you can't come back as a member of any particular social class, okay? You can only come back as just somebody in the society, randomly chosen. Do you want to come back into a capitalist society in which 1% makes all the money 
half the people are, are poor, actually. Uh, that's taking an awfully big chance, you know, a 99 to 1 chance that you will not be one of the people that has it good. Or would you rather come back in a socialist economy in which there nobody suffers, where everybody has a home and everybody has enough to eat and everybody can afford to see the doctor? And the, the, the well, the doctor himself, for instance, does he make more than the laborer? Well, yeah, of course he does. He's got more responsibility, more, he had to suffer through more education, stuff like that. But he doesn't have to make a lot more than the laborer. Because really, suppose that you could be a doctor, okay? And no society does this. Well, Cuba, I guess, guess, comes pretty close. And the society says, okay, well, uh, if you can pass the tests, you can go to med school. And you can be a doctor. No problem. We, we, we Go ahead. Uh, here's the test. And <clears throat> the thing is they've, that they've got more openings for doctors. They've got so many openings for doctors that uh, they, they basically aren't turning anyone away that passes a test. So there's a whole lot of people who, who are told, well, you can be a doctor and make 200000 or you can be uh, a construction worker and make 80000 And so which do you want to do? And there's some people that would say, well, gee, I don't think I want to have to get up in the middle of the night uh, to go and assist in surgery because Dr. So-and-so got, uh, had some kind of problem and he's not sure what to do. And I'm the expert, so they told me I might get woke up in the middle of the night. Well, here it is. And you've got to run down there before the guy dies on the table. Well, not everybody wants that kind of responsibility. It means, when do you get to drink? Never. You know, I mean, you just can't. And, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of doctors that don't even drink coffee because it makes their hands unsteady, surgeons. But some people would really want to be a surgeon, even if you told them you're going to make the exact same money as a laborer. You're going to make the same as the ditch digger. Which in our society is pretty good because we're a socialist society. And we're, we're just as productive as anybody else. We just spread it evenly. Now, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know of a, a whole society that's even... I've heard of uh, worker co-ops where everyone gets paid the same. And surprise, surprise, they have no problem at all getting somebody to be their CEO. What they do is they find somebody really experienced and knowledgeable who's been in the management part of the business for a long time um, and who doesn't think quick enough to get it come up with a good enough excuse and they say, hey, Joe, why don't you be president for five years? And he's like, no way, no, no, I don't, oh, no, no, no. I don't, I'm, I'm not interested in president. In fact, uh, I was thinking of, I was going to actually... Uh, See if I could move back down to the shops again from in my old age, you know. And I, uh, the board did what? Oh, no. And that's who you want, right? It's, you don't want somebody that wants power to run things. You want somebody that would rather not. Which is, of course, what we never got in, in under our system because our system is competition for everything. Competition, competition, competition. And, you know, want to make $100 million? Well, Pelosi has a way. You get in there and you do whatever the Democratic Party wants to do. 
and never mind what the people want it to do, that doesn't make any difference. And then you just sell some con to the people. And the con, like the neoliberalism, nobody believes that crap. I don't even think probably Laffer doesn't even believe the Laffer curve. Everybody else laughers at him. He's an idiot. I mean, any fool could look at this thing, should be able to look at this thing with, with not really very much knowledge at all, and say, okay, uh, the United States, uh, let's make America great again. When was the United States great? I think most people are really going to have to, if, if they really want to say that America was great at one time, the, probably the decade you're going to pick is the 50s. And the reason for that is we had just defeated fascism and we won the Second World War. We got the New Deal. We, we put the Depression behind us and the soldiers all came home and they all said, I'm going to marry my high school sweetheart and we're going to have 2.2 kids and a white picket fence with a neatly mowed lawn and a neatly trimmed hedge and two cars in the garage, and it's the American dream, and we're going to do it. And they did do it. They did it. They got those things. And then the 1%, of course, said, uh-oh, we have ordinary working people now buying nice houses. We're going to have to put a stop to this. We want them living in, in fear, as Milton Friedman actually, no crap, said, we want them, we want to terrorize the working class so that they will take any job we offer them. And so they took away the American dream. And, th and that's really what happened to it. So uh, the American dream's gone. When was America great? And people are gonna start playing around with their clock and they're looking and saying, well, the 60s were like too violent and the 70s were, I don't know, not that great. And by the 80s, everything was going to hell already. And the fact is that the fifth, in the 50s, we had a corporate income tax of like 92%. And we made them pay, too. And, and that was fine. And the corporations didn't go bankrupt then. They go bankrupt now because they're all involved in this financial crap of building these houses of cards. In the 50s, you still had to produce stuff. And if you were a crook, people didn't like it. And to some extent, we, we stopped them. I mean, we had antitrust. Uh, we came along like around 1970 or so, started with some environmental regulations and, you know, the whole deal, uh, the whole, uh, or I could say, but probably before 1970, it was Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring in 69, I think. So there was like, there was the, the time during the 50s when we just didn't realize how much evil was being done out there. So we were like innocent in quotes. And then in the 60s, uh, when people started saying, hey, we should get out of Vietnam. And we were actually becoming a greater country by getting out of Vietnam, just as we would be a greater country by getting out of Afghanistan. I seriously question the patriotism of anybody who wants to, uh, to stay in Afghanistan. Not just the, not just that there's a profit in staying in, in Afghanistan, but I mean, I, I think that it's, uh, 
I think that it runs directly against the true interests of the United States and is actually not something that you would do if you care about America. That we should have never gone into Afghanistan. We should have said, eh, we're Trade Center, big deal. So, you know, we'll catch up with this bin Laden guy, which actually, you know, we created Al-Qaeda during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. So, I mean, who are we to talk about what Al-Qaeda does? That's all pretty stupid. And it was Saudi Arabia that did it to us, our great ally, Saudi Arabia. So that whole thing is nonsense. But that's the kind of stuff that neoliberal capitalism is sold to you by, by feeding out these stupid lies like that. And that's the, so the American people are like, the ones that haven't got all this figured out are living in a system in their minds. They're living in a system in which like their vote counts and, and they watch mainstream news and they, the, the, these pundits are constantly saying, well, the Democrats could have done this and that and the other thing. How could they have won this election or that election? Or why could they take them to Senate and stuff like that? Well, I'll tell you something. If the uh, Democratic uh, National Committee had not stopped, by cheating, stopped uh, uh, Sanders from, from becoming the president, and if they had been just as, as eager to go ahead and support progressives and let them primary the old Deadwood out of the Democratic Party, well, they could, have e they could have easily just run the Republicans over. The, the, this stuff, I mean, what is the percentage of people that want Medicare for all? It's like 80%. But, no, you can't have it. And, and furthermore, even of the ones that don't want it, most of them, when I get to talking to somebody that thinks it's probably not a good idea, I start finding out pretty quick that, that they've bought into a lot of nonsense and they report, they, they stand there repeating like uh, Republican talking points for a while. And then I say, yeah, but look at Canada, look at this, look at that, this statistic and that, then oh, I didn't know that. Well, maybe this is a good idea. And you can just see the wheels turning like, oh, here we got another socialist on our hands. Sorry, Republican Party. But it doesn't do, it doesn't do any good if our votes don't count. And that's a, so that's where the Republicans have moved now towards this voter suppression. And they're using, the whole establishment is using and has, of course, been using since all, all my life. And uh, I mean, I was, I remember JFK being assassinated, so that gave you a clue. Uh, they've been uh, using propaganda to sell us this thing. They've been selling this capitalism that doesn't really exist and never did and never will. And they've been bad-mouthing a, a socialism that's just, well, just look at Russia. Well, if you look at Russia... If you look at the Soviet Union, if it was as bad as what they say, that's pretty bad. But it turns out that the more you find out about the Soviet Union nowadays, when nobody really cares, and you know the the history is out there, right? 
you discover things like, you know, those lines that everybody had to wait in for potatoes and that kind of, and then they, get, then they got rotten potatoes. I remember those stories like that, but people that lived in the Soviet Union and, and it's not the Soviet Union anymore, they're not afraid of the KGB, uh, you know, people that aren't even in Russia now, or they're in Russia, but, but you can talk bad about the Soviet Union if you want. And they're saying, no, there was no shortage of, no, that wasn't that. We were never hungry then. And they'll tell you, hey, you know what? The first time that we started worrying about having enough food was like after Yeltsin and when all billionaires took over and we got this kind of uh, whatever it is, state-sponsored capitalism crap that they've got in Russia now, that's when they started worrying. And in China, they're not worrying at all. They got Mr. Z. Hey, that guy is smart. He runs things good. Uh, they're, they've been lifted out of poverty. Everybody's doing good in China, and including the Uyghurs, because that's propaganda too. And that's why I say this neoliberal capitalism doesn't really exist. They've got the system, which nobody who understands it likes, and then they've got the system the way they pretend it works, which they've got people suckered for, but, but they're losing suckers all the time because, hey, people, you know, just because you don't have a college education, I can tell you, I mean, I learned some stuff in college, but hey, I got a law degree, and I can tell you that, you know, ignorance can be preserved right on through law school. You can... You can believe all their BS and still graduate from law school and be one of the top 2% of undergraduates to even get in law school. And you still, and some guy that doesn't know anything, you know, academic, can still look at the system and say, well, I can still see it sucks. And that's because they're seeing things as... Uh, the cynic says they're guilty of seeing things as they are rather than as they ought to be. And that's Ambrose Bierce, but you already knew that, didn't you?